you haven't been with us the last couple weeks, I have epic failed at communion two weeks in a row. And so uh, the praise band was giving me a hard time this morning not to mess up communion. I think we made it through okay. Merry Christmas to you all. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Christmas around the corner. Everybody got your shopping done? Yes? Shopping? Yes? Done? Almost. A few of you still working? All right. Still working. We're glad you're with us. Uh, we are in the middle of a series, three-week series, called The Paradoxes of Christmas. And uh, last week, we launched with a 17-year-old young man, Adam Mignani. 17. Now, here's the good news for me this morning. I got to beat 58 minutes. I, I knew teenagers talked. I just didn't know they talked that much. But Adam did an unbelievable job, if you weren't with us last week, as uh, we covered the beginning of the paradoxes of Christmas. His last week was, as we took a look at the virgin birth, how greatness is found in humility. It's a paradox. Seems that things that seem contradictory to each other, and yet there is truth behind it. Greatness is found in humility was last week. Today, I am going to tackle the challenge. We are about to get our minds on for a few minutes. Can we do that together? Yes? Can we do that together? I know it's right before Christmas. Your brains are probably fried. But we are going to take a look at this idea. The uncreated one is born. The uncreated one is born. That is a paradox and a half if you think about it. Someone who is not created is now going to be born. And so we want to tackle this together. So you can go to John chapter 1. We'll be in John chapter 1 today. It is not your traditional Christmas scripture. But I want to hit John chapter 1. I felt God call me and lead me to this place of John chapter 1 as we take a look at the uncreated one is born. So let's pray and then we're going to dive in together. So Father, we come and we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the word. That Jesus, you hold everything into place by your powerful word. Even this morning, as we woke up, the sun was out, you rule the universe. That's your powerful word. When you speak, things go into motion. When you speak, life is given. So Jesus, help us to see you for all that you are this Christmas. Lord, we love you, we thank you for who you are, and now we ask that you open our ears, our minds, our hearts, our souls to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many of you have filled out a job description or a job application recently? Anybody? Job application people? Yes, looking for new work? Okay. How many of you have done that in the past? Anytime? Job application? Yes? All right, let's go. Give me some things on a job application that you would have to fill out. Let's go. Name. All right. Name? Yes? Address. Age. Social security number. Availability. Thank you. What was it? Criminal history. Steven, should we be worried about you? Recent job what? History. Yes, you guys are getting it. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to John chapter 1, and we're going to look at Jesus' job application. In John chapter 1, Jesus has filled out a job application form. And he's going to tell us a lot about himself and who he is. So John chapter 1, let's start in verse 1. We'll take a look at who Jesus is. In the beginning, what should your mind do at this moment? 
Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, our minds begin to go back to the beginning, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. Job application. Let's go through this. His name? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is his name. You'll see that as we head through John chapter 1 in greater clarity, but his name is Jesus Christ. His age, his birthday. Let's go. What's his birthday? In the beginning. In the beginning. Guys, this is amazing about Jesus. That he says, before the world was ever created, I am. I have always been. I am eternal. Now, here's what your kid's going to do after church if they hear this. They're going to be like, how old is God? And you will give them what? He's eternal. I have no clue. There is no age. He's always been, and he always will be. In the beginning, it was his birthday. His address? Anybody knows this? He was with God. You don't know where Jesus is? It says he was with God. That's his address. That's where you will find him. Seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where he's located. His employment? He was with God and he, what does it say? The word was God. What's his employment? What does John say here? John says his employment record is this. He is God. Jesus is God. Y'all getting that? Like what we're about to discuss is the greatest thing. I'm telling you, it's, it's unbelievable this Christmas season. Jesus is God. Do you believe that? And it says this, he runs the universe. Anybody notice that in verse 3? Through Jesus all things were made. Your breath this morning is from Jesus. Hebrews 1, we'll see that here in a moment. He says he holds everything together by his powerful word. He speaks things into being. He sustains your breath right now. Your life right now is a gift from God. Anybody else notice that life is fragile? For some of you, Julie, thank you for what you said earlier. We were just praying for Julie this morning. Her husband, Mitch, passed away a few years ago, and he would have turned 50 today. I saw her post on Facebook, and it sent me back to Mitch. It sent me back to the fragility of life, how fragile life really is. That you and I are not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed to walk out of here. And for some of you this Christmas season, this is hitting home. You are dealing for the first year without your loved one. And yet we see that Jesus sustains all things. He's eternal. 
What is his identity? What is his nickname? What do we see here? He's the Word. He's the Word. I love this about Jesus. When he speaks, there's power that comes into our lives. And so, guys, we do this every week. We open up what? His Word. Because here's what we believe at True Life Christian Church. We believe when we open his Word, power comes. We believe that life comes. We believe that you being sustained comes from Jesus. That's what we believe because Jesus says, I am the word. I'm the one who sustains all things. The Bible says that when his word goes out, it will not return what? Void. It will accomplish everything that God wants it to accomplish. And so we see this job application of Jesus. Now here's what I want to ask you guys this morning. Here's, here's the challenging question. I believe it's the most important question you will ask this Christmas season, the most important question you'll ever ask in your life. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? It's the most important question you'll ask this Christmas season. And here John, as he writes this, he says that Jesus is God. And at face value, it sounds like, okay, Jesus is God. What does that have to do with my life here on earth? For some of you, you're asking that question this morning. What does this have to do with me? So what if Jesus is God? And John is going to make this declaration that matters vitally in your life. How you view the creator of the universe matters in your life. So we see here there's two categories that we can put Jesus in. Either he is creator or he is created. Do you all see that? That he, everything was made through him and yet here's what the reality is. For some people they say that Jesus is a created being. And not the creator. And it has huge implications in your life. If you believe that Jesus created, it will have huge implications in your life. So what I want to do is I want to go through some religions here this morning. I'll be honest with you, I'm wrestling with this because I know, and I, and I love you guys, but I know this. Some of you have told me you don't believe Jesus is God. And I want to walk through some ideas, walk through some ramifications with you, and then we'll get in to the second part of John chapter 1. Jehovah Witnesses, I just saw them out yesterday. You live in Berg, you'll see them every Saturday morning on the street corner by Dollar General. They have their pamphlets out. I love Jehovah Witnesses, I just don't agree with them. They believe this, Jesus is an angel that was created by God the Father. They believe that Jesus is simply an angel that was created by God the Father. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1, and I know where they get it from. Let me explain this to you. Hebrews chapter 1, if you can go there in your Bibles, go to your app, whatever it may be, I'll read up on the screen as well. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, Please highlight this, note this, whom he appointed heir of all things. 
and through whom also he made the universe. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Verse 5, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says he makes his angel spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the son Jesus, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Confusion rests right there in verse 6. And I know where they're getting it from. This is the confusion. I'll explain it to you. And again, when God brings his what? What does it sound like to you? Come on, what does it sound like to you? That God had a baby in heaven. His name was Jesus. Let me help you understand the language here, though. Can we go back to the previous slide, verse 2? And these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed what? Heir of all things. If you're an heir to your father, what do you guys get? And you hope it's a lot, right? Come on, daddy. Leave me with a lot of stuff, money especially, right? The context of this verse is very important. He says he's the heir of all things. He's the one who's going to inherit. Now, in Jewish culture, who received, who is the primary heir? Firstborn. How many firstborns are in here? Come on, firstborns. Yes? All right. You all are the uh, matriarchs and patriarchs of your family, right? You, you guys hold everything together. And in Jewish culture, you would get the primary what? Inheritance that's coming your way. And so here in this passage, verse 2 is vitally important to understand the first word. He's speaking of the context of what? He's the heir. He's the one who will receive, which makes sense because what? God put him in charge of what? Everything. He sustains the whole universe. In this moment, we see he's not a created being. He is God, the eternal. Mormons. Love Mormons. Just wrong. Do you all realize Mormons believe that Jesus and Lucifer were brothers? It gets even freakier for me. God the Father had a wife in heaven. Got her pregnant. Had Jesus and had Lucifer and had other siblings. And for some of us, we, I'm telling you, for some of us, we believe this. But look what Nehemiah 9, 6 says. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything. And notice this, the multitudes of heaven do what? John 1, 3, through him all things were 
made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is the only one who is worshipped here. He's far superior to any angel. He's greater than Lucifer before he even fell from glory. It's where the Mormons are, Muslims. Jesus is a created man who became a great prophet. Jesus does not declare that. He declares he's more than a prophet in Scripture. Hindus. He was a man through karma who continually reincarnated himself, entering higher levels of enlightenment. That's who Jesus is to them. He's a great man. But if you're in the faith of Jesus Christ, we believe that Jesus is God. Let me give you a few scenarios of, as I thought about this, some ramifications if you believe anything but Jesus is God. If Lucifer fell, could Jesus fall? If he's simply an angel, think about that for a moment. If he's simply an angel, and Lucifer was an angel, But the Bible says in Hebrews 13 that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says that God does not change. He's not shift. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Second thing I thought of is this week. If Jesus is a created being, then he is not to be worshipped above all else. Revelation 22, 8 and 9, it will not be up on the screen, you can read it for yourself. But we see here this idea with John as he's having these, these images going through his head and he begins to worship an angel and the angel stops him in Revelation 22, 9, 8 and 9 and he says, not me, there's one who is greater than I. He is to be worshipped, he is to be bowed down to. Which leads us into Matthew 14, 33, as Jesus is on a boat with his disciples, and he calms the storm, and the disciples do what? They bow and they worship Jesus in this moment, and they worship him on their knees. See, here's the deal, that the only one is to be worshipped is the God of the universe. He is to be exalted and praised forever. And the disciples notice this in this moment, that Jesus is God in flesh. Third thing I thought of this week is this as well. If Jesus is a created being, then you cannot trust him. I cannot trust him because he is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful. And he is not omnipresent. You can't trust Jesus if you don't believe he is God in flesh. But if he is God, then he is worthy of everything in your life. Everything. And John is saying here that everyone and everything comes from Jesus, belongs to Jesus, it will return to Jesus, and you will give an account before Jesus. Listen to me. You are here for Jesus, from Jesus, you will return to Jesus, and one day everyone in this room will return and give an account for before Jesus Christ. It will happen. 
But because he's the uncreated one, guys, we will worship, we will adore, we will follow, and we will love him. Because Jesus is God. Most important question in the room this morning is who do you believe Jesus to be? In this moment, you have a decision to make. You have a declaration to make. Who do you believe Jesus to be? But we see in this passage something crazy happens. The uncreated one, Jesus Christ, is born. John 1.14, let's go. I love this part. I love this part. This is an amazing part. John 1.14. The Word, the Word, the Word Jesus became what? And he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. This revelation is called, we call it the Incarnation. Jesus put on meat. Jesus put on flesh. All right, let's go. How many of you in this room have a tattoo? Yes. Pride. Tattoo pride. Yes. All right, anybody want to share what your tattoo or tattoos are? Come on, anybody? Anthony, let's go. What do you got? All right. All right, I'm going to ask you, why'd you get it on there? What did it mean to you? Let's go. Yep, half of his faith. Okay. Sweet. You guys hear that? Whether you agree with getting a tattoo or not, whether you have a tattoo or not, here's the reality of those who get tattoos. Skin matters. Skin matters. That there's something at the core for Anthony to get the tattoo, that there's something about the faith that he has in Christ, and he wants to remember that Jesus always goes with him because skin matters. And here John says this, that God put on skin, and as Eugene Peterson says in the message, he moved into our neighborhood. I love that. He moved into our neighborhood. That the God of the universe who sustains all things by his powerful word would put on skin, and that he would come and move into our neighborhood. I like Christmas songs, guys, but sometimes I wish they gave a little bit more real, realistic view of how things were back then. My number one is what? Silent Night. Bull hockey. Jesus put on skin and was a baby. Babies do what? Cry? 
but he was just so angelic. No way! The kid cried. I don't, my mom always said, you're being sacrilegious when you make Jesus into something. I'm like, mom, Jesus put on flesh. He cried, he peed, he pooped, he nursed. He put on flesh. But you're degrading him. Mom, he put on flesh. He put on skin. And he got in the game with us. I love this about Jesus. Do you realize that our God is the only God who would put on skin and come into our neighborhood? Every other God is aloof. Every other God is distant. But our God who said, I love you so much, I'll put on skin and come with you. So we have a God who puts on skin. And he walked this earth fully God and fully human. Don't ask me to explain it. Pastor, can you explain that? I can't. It's a mystery. That he would walk amongst us fully God and fully human. But it got me thinking about this incarnational life that Jesus would put on flesh. What would it look like for his followers to put on flesh? Now wait, we have flesh on. So maybe the question is, what would it look like for his followers to look more and more like Jesus? 1 John 2.6. Whoever claims to know and to live in Jesus must live as Jesus did. To me, this is one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. And it's one of the most challenging in all Scripture. If you claim to know Jesus, the Scriptures say you must live as Jesus lived. To put on flesh. And to let God live through us. Dallas Willard said it this way. Jesus teaches you to live your life as he would live your life. Have you ever thought about that? How would Jesus live your life? Galatians 2 teaches us, no longer I who live, but who lives in me. Christ lives in me. That Christ's life might be reflected out of my life. That we might live a life like Jesus because he put on flesh. So let me go through a few implications of this as we go through the incarnation of Jesus. And I want to take this passage and show you three things that we see, what it means for the incarnational life to become your life and become my life in the world that we live in. The first one is this. We need to learn to invade the darkness with light. Where'd your eyes go? Who said it? Tree. That's right. Who said I have no clue. I heard a voice. Your eyes went to where? The tree. It went to light because light in the midst of darkness catches our what? It catches our eyes. There's something about light that catches our eyes that's different from the darkness. You can turn the lights back on. Woo, bright. 
Listen to what John says in verse 4 and 5. John 1, 4, in him was life, speaking of the word Jesus, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines where? In the darkness. And the darkness, I love this, has not overcome it. Jesus Christ comes into a dark, broken world and he shines his light. Now you're going to ask, what kind of light? What, what does light look like? I, well, the Bible says it here. In Jesus was what? Life. And in this moment, John is taking us back to Genesis 1 again, from in the beginning, but he's going to take us back to when life was created. Who brought life? Jesus. When he spoke, the universe was what? Formed. And John is taking us back to Genesis 1, and he's saying this, that light is found in the life of God. That when he speaks and he breathes, life is formed. Let me ask you a question. How much darkness is around us right now? Seriously, how much darkness is around us right now? How much darkness do you see on the television set? And please do not go to Washington, D.C. right now. Okay, that's a whole cesspool as it is. Let's start more local. Let's get into the neighborhood. I'm talking about our homes, our neighborhoods, our hospitals, our schools, your office space. I'm talking about cancer. I'm talking about depression. I'm talking about kids being orphaned. I'm talking about marital conflict. I'm talking about abuse. I'm talking about hunger. I'm talking about shame from having an abortion. Should we keep going, guys? Have you noticed how much darkness is around us? Guys, to live the incarnational life is this, the church bringing the light of Christ into the darkness. Guys, we have an unbelievable opportunity right now. Unbelievable opportunity. There is darkness all around us, and we have an opportunity to shine the light of Christ into these dark places. We have an opportunity to take Christ into the world and breathe into the world the life of Christ. This Christmas, you have the opportunity to reach out to the brokenhearted. Anybody else notice, I noticed for me this week, I've been so busy getting ready for Christmas that I've missed out on people. I've noticed that Chris makes Christmas about whom? About myself. Have you looked around you at some of the brokenhearted people around us? What What would it look like to love the brokenhearted? What would it look like to walk with those who have cancer right now? Seriously, if the church would get their minds off themselves and put it on Christ and on others, what would happen to this world? 
What would it look like to adopt the orphaned? What would it look like to forgive your spouse this Christmas? Anybody else's spouse made you mad this week? I know I've honked Aaron off, I'm sure. What would it look like to forgive your spouse this Christmas? What would it look like to see justice for the abused? What would it look like this Christmas to feed the hungry? What would it look like to love those walking in the shame of an abortion? Not criticizing them, not dogging them, but to actually be by their side and to walk with them. See, it's really easy to criticize people, isn't it? To be critical of them. But what would it look like for the people of God to actually love those who are in darkness? And John says here that Jesus walked amongst us and he was the light in the midst of the darkness. The second thing to live the incarnational life was this, be getting on board with God's rescue mission. Let me read verses 9 through 13. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, that's great news, isn't it? The invitation is open to every one of us this morning. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This verse right here got me thinking that too often in the church we make salvation about a transaction. We make it about converts. When in fact here in the scripture it teaches that God is on a rescue mission and it's just not about conversion to get into heaven. It's about adoption. Anybody notice that here? It's about adoption. It's about God getting his family back. It's about being adopted by a father through the son via the Holy Spirit. I love what Hugh Halter says in his book Flesh. He says it this way. The incarnational way of life is not about conversion, it's about adoption. The book of Ephesians strongly implies that Jesus' followers are always to be viewed in the context of family. We are part of his body, members of God's household, bride and groom. And this understanding is so important because if you miss it, you'll head out your door in the name of Jesus and you'll make prisoners instead of priests, converts instead of cousins, and Pharisees instead of family members. So what if we understood that God was trying to get his kids back? What if we understand that God is on a greater mission than we even think? I think it's Christmas, I'm realizing I'm taking my family for granted. And I'm so glad that our God does not take his family for granted. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, he takes you very seriously. That the Father has set his affection on you. If you're not a part of his family, guess what he's inviting you this morning? He's inviting you to receive the fullness of being in his family. He just doesn't want you to convert to Christianity. I'll be honest with you, that word convert sort of sounds... Like God is distant, 
somewhere out there in space and time. Makes it sound like we're just a number inside of a movement. But I love that John here says this, that we are children of God. We are what? We're receiving the fullness of the Father. His attention is set on us. What would it look like for us to be knowing this, that we are on a rescue mission for the Father? That guys, when you walk into your homes this Christmas, that you're actually taking the love of the Father that he has on you and you are, what, transferring it to the people around you. Maybe we look at our families differently. Maybe we look at our friends differently. Maybe we look at our coworkers differently. And maybe the Father, just maybe the Father, is pursuing them as well. And he wants his kids back. The third and final thing I want to highlight from John 1 is this. To live the incarnational life is this, to glorify God by living out grace and truth. Let me ask you a serious question. You can reply. How do you glorify God? Let's go. How do we glorify God? Let's go. What, what does it mean to glorify? Well, how do we glorify God? What are ways that we do it? What do we typically think of glorifying God? What, we're about to do it again. What, what do we typically? Singing? Yeah. Singing? Some of you, I know, it's wearing a Christian t-shirt. Cheesy as they are. Giving? Praying? Serving? By example, thank you very much, Jessica, because that's where we're going. What if I told you the main way we glorify God, that we lift God up, we make him famous, is to tell and to show others about what God is like? What is God like? It says here in Scripture that Jesus did what? He came and he shared what the Father was like. Verse 14 again, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, the paradox of grace and truth. That the Son came full of grace and truth, showing us what the Father is like. And he says in verse 18, no one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son who is, him, is himself God is in closest relationship with the Father and has made him known. That when we look at Jesus, we see the Father. What would it look like for people to look at us and see God? Let me ask you a serious question here. Look back at this week. Seriously, just for a moment, let's go back this week, think through the week. What kind of God did you show people? With your words and with your actions, what kind of God did you show people? We are Christ's ambassadors. We are his representatives. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are to show people what Jesus is really like, what the Father is really like. Is he judgmental? Is he non-gracious? Is he a bigot? Is he a slanderer, a gossiper? Now, guys, for me this week, it got scary as I thought about this question. What have I shown people God is like this week? Because Jesus came displaying who the Father is, and he's saying to his followers, you are to display who I am like.
And the paradox of grace and truth is so rich and so thick. He extended grace to those who were his enemies, all the while still being true to his father. You know how hard it is to show grace to your enemies? That we be a people who forgive, we be a people who love well, and yet we would not succumb to the ways of the world, but that we would be different, that we would stay true to who God has made us to be. Guys, we don't lose our identity in Christ, and yet we still extend the grace and love of Jesus to the people around us. Can we start in our families this afternoon? You know your spouse that's been getting on your nerves all week? That you would extend them grace? Your kids, oh gosh, please help us, Lord. Kids before Christmas. Anybody else notice your kids have been acting up a little bit more this week with school ending? Or is it just me? Maybe we start with our neighbors, the one who put up 14,000 lights and blinds you every night. That we might extend them grace to the coworker who's been driving you batty, that we might extend them grace this week. That we might actually show them what God is like. We might be his representatives this Christmas. Why? Because Jesus came and put on flesh and he moved into our neighborhood. Who is Jesus to you? What does that mean to you? Let's wrestle through that this week. Let's wrestle through that this Christmas. That the light came into the darkness because he put on flesh. Let's pray. So, Father, we come to you right now. We thank you for being a God who sent the word Jesus to us. The Father, in your grace and your mercy, you would come and you would rescue your rebellious kids. Your kids that continue to continually sin against you, continually disobey you, that you would come for your enemies and you would call us your children. Father, I pray for the person who doesn't believe you're God this morning, Jesus. I pray that, Lord, they would see your fullness. They would see your eternalness. That they would see your goodness. They would see your creation and they would bow and they would worship you. So Jesus, we need you right now, and we thank you that you are God in flesh. You are Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, help us in the next few moments. For some of us, we just need to get honest with ourselves of where we are with you. Pray that, Lord, we would run to you rather than away from you, knowing that you are good. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for all that you mean to us. Now, may we worship you, even by declaring what we believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.